All right, world, and welcome to our second episode of Toxic Masculinity, um, a place where we interrogate heteronormative society and promote the gay agenda. My name is Elliot, Yay. and I am joined by my lovely co-host, the Real Housewife of Albuquerque, Chris Allen. Hello, humans. <laughs> and the uh, the sexy photographer extraordinaire, my boyfriend, Paul Barr. Hi. <laughs> um, so welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you to everyone who gave our first episode a listen. Shout out to, to all the people who messaged each of us about... Shout out to, I think, like our 41 listeners. Yes. Every single one of you. <laughs> yes, honestly. we appreciate you so much. <laughs> honestly, honestly. But yeah, so let's get into it. Same structure. And hopefully, as always, we're able to compel you. Hopefully, we're able to make you laugh. Hopefully, we're able to inform you and um, entertain you for at least 45 minutes. Who knows? But we're going to start with some headlines. First up, we got Ibram X. Kendi. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he is a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research. Um, I think he also wrote a bunch of books. There's this one called like How to Be an Anti-Racist and stuff like that. But um, he made some remarks on a video when he was being interviewed um, that some are classifying as transphobic. The left-wing author of How to Be an Anti-Racist talked about how it was horrifying that his daughter wanted to be a boy. So I watched the video and essentially this guy and yeah he's actually really popular he we talk about him a lot in a lot of my my uh classes for my master's degree yeah it's um, a big book yeah well and he's written a bunch he's written the how to be an anti-racist and he has a whole bunch but that one is definitely the most popular he's on you know he's doing an interview with somebody and he's talking about gender and they ask him or he's he, then he's, he starts talking about his how his daughter came home one day and was like, I, I want to be a boy. And his response was like, you know, why do you want to be a boy? And her response was like, because they're better or because, you know, they, something along the lines of them being better than girls. And so his whole thing was, you know, I don't want my daughter to want to be a boy because they're better. I want my daughter to want to be a girl and feel empowered. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think that's like transphobic or what? Cause I was really confused. Hearing that context, it doesn't sound transphobic. Cause it sounds like the girl, she wanted to be a boy because maybe she would just, it kind of seemed like she perceived them as better. Like that's what she's learned so far or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at, at first when I read the article, I thought it was like, you know, that classic story, kind of like Kevin Hart of parents trying to like suppress young kids, just exploring themselves in totally natural ways. But I think that sounded, that sounded fair and right. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, Chris, what were you going to say? No, it's like obviously taken out of context when you read, um, he talks about how it was horrifying that his daughter wanted to be a boy. Like it, like the shock value of that sounds yeah. bad. And then when you hear like the reasoning, I guess it kind of makes sense in a way. Yeah. Like boys aren't better. That's kind yeah. of what he was trying to say. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's funny. <laughs> Cause I feel like he kind of like outwoked all of his dissenters, you know, like you had all these pseudo woke trans activists you know attacking him but really mm -hmm. he made it about gender politics and like feminism and right. misogyny so mm -hmm. yeah no it was interesting but uh that was my piece oh and that was from the blaze by the way thank you the blaze for your wonderful corresponding Interesting. Yes. Um, next story that I picked this week, um, country star 
from the band Brothers Osborne, TJ Osborne, becomes the only openly gay artist signed to a major country record label. Um, so this story broke last week. He did a huge interview with Time magazine about um, coming out and his experience. Um, I think this is huge. I've always been a fan of country music, but I've always been like, I've, I was raised on like all genres, but my mom's always been a huge fan of country music and I've always listened to it, but it, I've always felt like conflicted because there's not really any gay aspect to country music. So it's always kind of like, I'm listening to this music that really has, I can't relate to at all. Cause it's always like about a, a man and a woman and mm-hmm. kind of like stereotypical. So I think this is, major um he talks a lot in the interview about knowing just like from a young age that he was gay and like he told his brother and his family and he was always like really accepted but his fear lied within like the the community and like the fans and all of that and what their response would be so yeah it's gonna be interesting do you know you said he's from the brothers osborne yeah, so it's him and his brother. They're a country duo. So did he did he just come out or like was he Publicly. out before they signed him? Oh, okay. So I um I I believe in the article. So he was in his like early 20s. They were they were signed to their label and he had come out to his brother and just like a few close friends and that all went over really well, but it wasn't until just recently that he decided to make it public and he was comfortable doing that. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I think what will be really telling is if he starts to write songs about his sexuality and like other men, that'll be very powerful because I think like you were saying, country music, one of the founding sort of, I don't even know, like the foundations of country music is like heterosexuality. Like people, that's, that's storytelling, you know, storytelling about a boy and a girl falling in love. So yeah, it'd be cool if he sort of flipped that narrative on its head. Yeah. He's also, he also mentions in the article that he is very good friends with Casey Musgraves and that she's been super supportive. So that is awesome as well. Legend supporting legends. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We love you, Casey. Yes. Literally. What else? What else do we got? Okay, last news headline of the week is basically on every news channel right now. It's the second <laughs> impeachment of Donald Trump. Uh, he's facing his second impeachment trial in the House of Representatives. If impeached, he will be the first. It will be the first time in American history that a president of the United States will be impeached twice. I just wanted to know. My two questions for you guys were. Do you care if this happens? And is this like the most important, like, is this what they should be focusing on right now? Because I do know everyone wants $1,400 checks and a lot of other legislation. And so yeah. some of your guys' thoughts. Um, My thoughts, my thoughts, my thoughts are, well, the Donald Trump is an idiot. <laughs> and I think he definitely deserves impeachment. I think the process of impeachment is insane and you know it's like a whole trial they bring in attorneys and whatnot so i mean i definitely think that and i also i don't understand why it has to be a whole why the whole house of representatives has to be like focusing on it i think that you know use the courts use the courts to impeach him while the the other branches of government continue doing other more important work but i definitely think that he should be, he should, his involvement in the insurrection should definitely be acknowledged in some capacity. Yeah. I was watching off and on like throughout the day and like right before this, and it's just like such a long and like draining process. And like everyone has to give like a testimony and like present all this stuff and it's just a lot. <laughs> it's like, I wish if they were going to do something, it would just happen faster. I understand there's like rules, but. Well, it honestly, it's, it's so- like unprecedented. So like there's so much yeah. they have to go through and like they have to even deem if 
it's worthy of impeachment, which like, I think it is, but it's like, absolutely. Yeah. I, I guess I'm, I'm just impatient. So I just wish if they were going to do something, it would just happen faster. Uh, Oh, what's crazy is that he will be the first president in American history to ever be impeached twice, which I don't even know that could happen. But what that's, what's so crazy about the impeachment process is that, you know, your president is impeached, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're, they vacate their office. Yeah, you so, don't get removed right away because the trial has to happen and all of, there has to be like majority votes and all of that. So it's just a, a long process. And no yeah. one's ever been removed, right? Um, that is even question. like, I think like Nixon resigned, Bill Clinton, yeah, that, passed the that Senate. was the example mm-hmm. I was gonna use. I don't, I don't believe people may correct us if we're wrong, but I don't believe anyone's actually been removed. No, yeah, I don't think there, unless there's a president from like the oldie, timey, timey days, yeah, like the 1800s, <laughs> something might have happened, yeah, <laughs> yeah. some shit went down, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Donald Trump. You're still an asshole. Yeah, you're a loser. <laughs> you can suck it. Honestly, dude. Honestly. Cool. Well, those are our headlines of the week. Um, so this week, for our Let's Have a Kiki moment, it is iconic, legendary. We're going to be discussing a little era known as the disco era. Um, I don't know, for anyone listening out there, if you guys watched RuPaul's Drag Race this past week, but... There was a challenge, and that's what sort of invoked this discussion. Um, but there was a challenge where they had to – it was essentially – and that's what I love about RuPaul's Drag Race, by the way, is that in every challenge, there's like a history lesson. And so mm. this challenge was focused on disco, and all the queens had to represent a different you know, period in time of disco. But that got my, my brain – my gears are going – uh, and disco is, it's really revolutionary. I think as young people, we don't really know that. So we want to dive into it. We want to dive into what makes disco amazing, what it started, how it started, what it influences today. Um, so I guess my first question for you guys would be, what do you know about disco? <laughs> Well, especially because none of the queens knew anything about disco, honestly, and neither do I. So it's definitely them. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is so bad. But (laughs) I did some research when we figured out we wanted to talk about this, and I listened to a lot of music. And honestly, I think everyone knows disco music. All those songs are either like sampled or they're just like on the radio all the time. Yeah. Such like a, was such a cultural moment. But I always kind of knew that it was like a gay thing and like there was a cutoff, like it was get ended at one point, but I didn't know how like political and revolutionary and like awesome it was. So Sam. Yeah, I I think we all grew up listening to it, right? Because of our parents and it definitely still has a stamp on society and music in general. Um, but I I never knew, like you were saying, I never knew like the historical roots. And there's this really, really good documentary um, on Netflix about Studio 54 and how it, you know, it's it's part in the whole disco era and the disco movement. And it just goes over, you know, how disco sort of like helped open that club, number one, but also how the club you know, the, how the, the owners of the club like fucked up and they went to jail or whatever. But it's just so interesting to see how disco played such an integral role in it, in Studio 54. Yeah. It really like invented dance music and Studio 54 also invented like clubs as we know it. Like before mm-hmm. they were kind of like bars, but discos were like all about the glamour and getting down and like, I don't know. It was, yeah. I feel like it was way different after that. It's really, like, the basis of a lot of, like, popular music that's Mm. come about now. Like, it all somehow goes back to disco. I think that's super cool. Well, and I was doing my research in preparation for our discussion today. And so disco was the first genre 
to capitalize on like the the four on the floor beat so just like mm-hmm. just like you know consistent beat and then the that groovy the, funky boogie beat <laughs> yeah ooh, i like that <laughs> i love all those words <laughs> oh yeah, yeah the, the lingo is the best yes <laughs> two, but two. then the syncopated rhythm which is a weird word but apparently it means like you know it was popular because it didn't follow like traditional rhythm patterns so they kind of well that's what i love about disco is they sort of fucked with the contemporary way of making music which at that point i think was just like you had rock and roll you had uh i guess like blues maybe um because it really came to light in the 1970s and so disco really was just like this new, not th- not only this new genre, but this new conception of how to make music. And so that's what I really like about it. But what was also cool about disco, and I think, I don't know which one of you was saying, but um, it brought together all these different groups of people. And they go over that in the documentary. It was like a mixture of Latino people because disco also had salsa music as a really big influence. And so you had like Latino people, you had black people, you had queer people, uh, women all together. So you had like all these marginalized groups. Poor people, rich people. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, I think of, I think of like the modern day club, like what we know as like gay clubs and like EDM festivals and really all their roots trace back to disco, Disco. which is so dope. Yeah, I want to talk about too the disco sucks because I think yeah that's, that's a really what I want to get part. into mm-hmm. especially yeah. because looking into it it really is reminiscent of the times we're in today because it really was like straight white resentment of especially the guy who started it apparently the way it all started he was a radio DJ and he was fired from his station because it was a rock station that was like turning disco or whatever mm. and so. I just think it shows like a greater theme of like blaming marginalized people when like, I don't know, like shit goes wrong. And, um, oh, Disco Sucks gives hella MAGA energy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's some you, great notes. It was just another time in which homophobic white people were causing conflict for no reason. Mm-hmm. Well, and... What's so interesting is like like you were saying, Paul, like there's always this like threat, I feel, that white people that white people feel when things get too black or things get too gay. And they're getting get too much too, attention. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's so crazy. And what's and so if, if you're if you're listening and you have no idea what the fuck we're talking about in terms of the disco sucks movement. So, you know, disco happened in 1970s. It was revolutionary. Studio 54 opened. People loved disco. There was tons of artists out there, which, I mean, to name a few, just in case you're like, you don't know, you have like Gloria Gaynor, you have uh, Martha Wash, you have um, Cool in the Gang, you have Earth, Wind & Fire, fucking iconic superstars, right? Um, So all these people are like gaining notoriety and popularity at the time. They're very black. They're not gay per se but they're definitely fucking with the conception of like what masculinity is and so this is all happening and then a group of white people literally (laughs) they take i shouldn't say a group of white people i should say a group of anti-disco people who happen to be like predominantly white surprise surprise but it was white Um, people it was like yeah no yeah yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) but i'm but to be fair there were a lot of white people who also love disco and for all the white listeners out there like if you get down with disco, you're fucking awesome. But um, they literally take all these vinyl records of these disco artists to a field in Chicago, I believe. And they light this shit on fire. They like this, this DJ like comes to the center of the field, has everyone bring down their records. And they literally, how this was allowed is beyond me or legal, but they literally like hundreds of people, thousands of people probably come down light these records on fire all in an attempt to like end disco. It's supposed to be the last day of disco. And when you really dive into why they hated it so much, 
it really just boils down to, like we were saying, homophobia, racism, sexism, and really kind of yeah. fear of the unknown, which is, I guess, what all those things are. Yeah, the DJ who did it, he said Midwesterners didn't want that intimidating disco style shoved down their throats, which I think <laughs> is interesting because it's not intimidating. The whole thing is that it's inclusive. Like, <laughs> it's just like that That fear is so bizarre. And it, it, it is crazy, too, how right after, apparently, like, disco became a pejorative and the record industry reacted swiftly in just over eight weeks the number of disco songs on the Billboard Top 10 went from six to zero. No way. Yeah. Oh, um, so it did have, like... Ugh, fuck that, dude. I didn't know that it actually had, like, a, like an impact like that. But, I mean, that makes sense because what's so crazy about disco is it's one of those only, one of the only genres that... There, it really is kind of finite in terms of like when it was talked about because we don't really talk about like you know new disco artists. I mean, if there's if there's like contemporary disco out there, like please, I would love to like learn about it. But I don't really think there is, and I think that the disco sucks movement definitely had like influenced that. But what's cool about disco though is even though we don't talk about it in the same ways, the way it influenced genres today, genres today, like I mean. R&B, soul, hip-hop. I think that's really cool that the roots still are there. And obviously, artists are still celebrated. Um, I mean, Diana Ross is a queen. Gloria well, Even, like, Dua Lipa, her last album was very disco-influenced. Mm-hmm. Kylie Minogue's yeah. last album was called Disco. Even, like, Madonna's album in 2005 was, like, a whole disco thing. yeah. I think we also need to talk about the cultural influencer who I didn't know about, but who is a very integral part of the disco movement. Um, His name is Sylvester. And so, you know, for everyone who's listening that has no idea who Sylvester is, I didn't know who he was before my research, but apparently he was this iconic queer black figure in the disco movement. Um, I was going to try to play, maybe we can edit it in, but I was going to, he's, he, he's sings that. <laughs> you make me feel mighty real. And I, like, I've heard that song. You don't need song. to edit it in because <laughs> you just did it perfectly. Beautiful. You're welcome. You're welcome. I've, I've heard that song before. I've heard it on like RuPaul. I'm pretty sure. I feel like yeah, I've heard they did it. A, like, it was a lip movies. sync on, I want to yeah. say All Stars previously yeah. yeah oh yeah that's what it was on and i guess i just never bothered looking into who sang it but Sam. it was sylvester and so and so like i was saying he was this this queer black individual from i don't know where he was from but i know he moved to san francisco and he lived there for you know the remainder of his life and he was really integral in the disco movement so he like met he's he's was a producer he met uh I, I forget, is it Mark the Wall? Mark the Wall or Wash? Mark the Wash? I forget. She's just a, she's a prominent disco artist. I think she was on RuPaul as well. But she he meets her and like together they sort of like start this disco empire within San Francisco. He He's a part of like this group called the Coquettes, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um, and he uses that show and like the group to sort of, you know, bring light to to the genre and then people start catching on. And so he was sort of the first discoer for lack of a better word. And then people just followed in his lead. So props to Sylvester and he ended up dying of AIDS, which is really fucking sad. Um, He was doing the whole gender bending non-binary before it was even, there was language for it. So he's Mm -hmm. really a pioneer. Yeah. That's, that was the, what I found interesting in those times. It wasn't, that wasn't like a thing and he was doing it. Even because uh, in the little thing we watched today, there was a bit where apparently Joan Rivers called him like a drag queen when he was on her show. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm not a drag queen. I'm Sylvester. <laughs> like, there's a difference. <laughs> that's dope. Well, and that's what I think is so funny. And like, I've had, <laughs> I hate almost admitting this, but I have, I've had like older people in the past, people who I work with or just people who I come into contact with who like, you know, they want to school me on history and they want to teach me about the different things that have happened prior to to 
to, you know, my generation and I, I don't write them off, but I'm always like, okay, well, back in those days, things were worse. <laughs> we're living in better times. But I think what's crazy is that there's always going to be the people who break the rules. You know, there's there, no matter what generation you're in, there's always been those people. There always will be those people. And I think it's important to know, especially like our generation and this new generation, you know, we think we're very progressive. We think we're so ahead of the curve. And it's like, yeah, I think maybe collectively we are as a whole, it's cool. But back in the day, there were people who were doing just what you're doing. Just the difference is they were true revolutionaries because they were getting discriminated against right and left. Yeah, and they were doing it when it was dangerous to do that like you could potentially be like attacked or even killed and like even go to jail it was like illegal to be gay yeah like a true pioneer exactly exactly um any any other final words people were killed this disco is I've, i've been listening to disco since i watched track race it was it it's no, fun. Yeah. It's so fun. <laughs> well, it's so I, fun. It really is dance music, and apparently, it also is like it created house music too. Like it really created. Yeah, and like you don't realize. Well. Like I just, I just found like a random playlist, and it's like you know every song. Like you don't even mm-hmm. realize. Like mm-hmm. it, this shit's been playing for so long, and it's classic. Mm-hmm. I watched the Super Bowl halftime show where Diana Ross performs which mm-hmm. I didn't even know she did the halftime show. Disco's yeah. really like my my new my new disco love has really opened my eyes to so many things. I, I didn't even I know love history. Did the show. I love history too. <laughs> she did the halftime show in like 1993, maybe I believe. And it is one of the most iconic performances I've ever seen in my whole entire life. She has the like, helicopter. The helicopter. Yeah, she has so a fucking, epic helicopter dude what the fuck it was so crazy my, my was ride like, is here guys goodbye yeah yeah that was like a huge like safety concern and she was like i don't care like i'm doing it and like yeah her the- arms are just strapped to the side yeah. i'm like girl yeah. i would have died i would have fucking died of a heart attack not even falling out of the helicopter just from being so scared yeah she's um, a legend no but yeah she changed it she has like i want to say at least five to six different outf- uh, <laughs> outfit changes <laughs> yes. just a f- fucking icon dude what a mm-hmm. what a queen yeah that was great so i mean i guess all i can say is thank you disco for <laughs> existing and happening thank you to anybody who was a part of the movement fuck anybody who was a part of the disco sucks movement i hope you're you're racist, you're a homophobe, <laughs> you're probably a MAGA now. <laughs> exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. But yeah, it was revolution. It was, And I was just telling Paul, actually, like, I think it would have been so cool, minus like, you know, the AIDS and the racism and shit. <laughs> I think the minus 70s... the AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> I think the 70s would probably be like the decade I would want to live in if I had to choose. Yeah, well, fashion. that's why that's why it's because there wasn't AIDS and then like there wasn't like the war on drugs. People yeah. were getting the fuck down. They were having sex. They were like on quaaludes. It was great. Honestly. Well, that's <laughs> the a good clothes question. And like, the fashion. That's my mm-hmm. favorite part. Mm-hmm. That's a good question to like end our Kiki segment. If you could go back to any decade, what decade would you go to? I've always said the 80s. I'm such an 80s enthusiast, like 80s music, 80s style, but the the 70s are dope too. So maybe like yeah. late 70s into the 80s, I guess. Yeah. I always joke, because I can never pick a decade, but I always joke I would just want to go back in time and see Mariah at the Tokyo Dome in 1996. But <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> <laughs> All your... Your years only have to do with Mariah Carey. That's it. Or I'd go and kill baby Hitler. That's my second option. <laughs> Dope. Well, Disco, we love you. We cherish yes. you. And if you're not, if you're not a fan of Disco, get into it. Honestly. I suggest there's plenty of playlists. <laughs> All right.
let's let's move on to our highly coveted toxic awards of the week. We have some good ones today. Um, hottie of the week, I think Pablocito is going to tell us who that is. Starting it off for the week, we're going to give you a rare sports moment. Uh, hottie of the week is Tyron Matthew. So we learned about him on Sunday when we had to watch football for a little bit. <laughs> What's that thing called again? Oh, yeah, the Super Bowl. The uh, Super Bowl, the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Um, so he's number 32 on the Kansas City Chiefs. And I noticed him because he was getting real mad and angry. And I noticed he was actually like yelling at Tom Brady. He was like, they got into a Fuck real yes. war of words. And hot. he was pretty hot. So <laughs> I love I love sports when they're when they're cute. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, he was all he was getting all mad, and I was like. Oh my god, you just became hotter for some reason, which is probably yeah. problematic, but <laughs> I, I was like, what's I happening? Oh my god, the drama. Um, did he I should have looked him up, but I just remember like seeing it. Does he have does he have dreads or is it like braids? Yeah, it is dreads. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's a cutie. So if you don't know who he is, uh go look him up and you're gonna like what you see. Yeah. Did you guys, sorry, totally off topic, but did you guys like The weekend? Yes, yeah. I really did. A lot of people are being so critical, but I I really liked it. I, I, it was so smart. Like, he's been telling this story through this whole era, the After Hours era of, like, mm-hmm. Hollywood and, like, being consumed by fame and appearance and all that. And this was supposed to be, like, the finale of that. And oh. I really liked it. He's very smart and like he's an artist, and so I, I, I really liked it. I've always been a fan of the weekend, so yeah. I loved it. But my one thing, I did want like another act. I was kind of waiting for it, mm-hmm. and it's cool when they do it alone. But I was yeah. like, I was waiting. For well, I was like still waiting like an hour after for Ariana Grande to come out, but <laughs> very that didn't Dude, didn't happen. He should have. I don't understand why he didn't. That would have been so. Well, cool. they asked him, they did like the press conference right before the performer mm-hmm. and they asked him and he was like, with like all of the COVID restrictions and he had to, he paid a lot out of pocket for the performance, like to make mm-hmm. sure the dancers were safe and all of that and the overall production. And he was like, with what I wanted to do and the time constraints and safety and all of that, it just didn't allow for me to bring someone in so yeah mm-hmm. also shout out to did you guys see her's performance of america the beautiful mm-hmm. and and um no, jasmine sullivan watch that oh yeah God, oh, i didn't even see jasmine either Ugh, i need to yes, watch that and she looked gorgeous it was so good mm-hmm. they were great yeah. her like that rendition of america the beautiful like i think will live on for years and years and years and years it was so good it was epic all right, our, moving on to our highly coveted toxic man of the week. I can take this one um, because this bitch is crazy. So this week we have actually a woman, a toxic woman of the week, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Green. Boo. We need to get like a sound, a sound clip. It's like, boo. Okay, soundboard's uh, coming next week because like, it's so necessary now. Honestly. Um, but the U.S. House of Representatives has voted to expel a Republican congresswoman from two committees over, I don't know this word, incendiary? Incendiary. 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 Fucking bad remarks. <laughs> Hateful, toxic, stupid we all have to remarks. <laughs> Even yeah. Mitch McConnell said something about, like, loony. She's like a loony conspiracy theorist. So, Dude. And I think the, cra- the craziest thing she's done. So I'm like, I'm excited they like expelled her from committees because really, for anybody out there who like doesn't know how government works, which is understandable because it's boring as fuck. But like, <laughs> you know, they have committees and shit. And really, that's where like Congress people really wield the most power because they're able to like influence, you know, policy. They're they're able to influence like the passing or not from a committee of a certain certain types of legislation. So. It's really, it's actually a pretty big deal. She won't be able to like, you know, really like thoroughly discuss any type of policy with anybody because she can't be on any committees. So that's a really, that's like, like that's great that they did that. Um, but what's what's insane about her 
is not only does she like, you know, spew conspiracy theories and just like, which, by the way, I think it's important to note some of her conspiracy theories. So she, she denies mass shootings. She denies like that the was, yeah, yeah. Vegas Man. shooting and the Sandy, Sandy Hook and nine eleven. There's this crazy clip of her. It's because one of the survivors or you know victims of the. The, I forget where I forget the name of the high school, but uh, one of the survivors, he's like an activist now. So he'll go to Congress and lobby Congress on like gun control. He'll speak. There's a video of her literally harassing this dude as he walks out of the Capitol. Like you have a, co- a member of Congress. Usually it's the opposite, right? You usually have like just advocates like harassing members <laughs> of Congress. She decides to flip that script <laughs> and is chasing this poor dude who's probably like, you know, he's in high school. He was just in high school, probably like 20, 21 years old, harassing him about gun control and why she thinks, you know, his views are stupid. And then she, so it's, there's that. She doesn't, she questions the legitimacy of school shootings. Then she questions the legitimacy of 9 11, which that's crazy. I thought that was more of like a left wing thing, but apparently it's not like a radical leftist thing, but apparently it's. 9-11 sketchy that. but that's a different story yeah 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 but she that was one of the things that she questioned and then she goes on twitter and she posts because she's all over social media of course and she posts on twitter a picture of her holding like an ak-47 and <laughs> proceeds to attach or like or tag uh aoc alan omar and rashida talib and is like this is what these representatives need. Pretty much just threatening to kill them. <laughs> like, dude, yeah. what the fuck? She's out of her mind. And she wears those uh, as like a different face mask every time that she's going to be speaking that has like <laughs> some type of message that she's it spewing. It says like censorship. Censor, like yeah. <laughs> Bitch, yeah, I'm like, yes, censor yourself. Like, it's- Ugh, she well and for me it's the fact like she i know there's crazies out there that exist but it's the fact that she won a constituency yeah there's like she's so crazy and a majority of this town is crazy and i don't know i, I can't deal no 100 percent. i was actually thinking the same thing that wow obviously she got to this position <laughs> through an election which requires a majority yeah. of people she's so, from georgia right yeah this really like it's- that's it's so crazy how polarized Georgia is. Like mm. they're they just turned blue, but there's so many Republicans there. It's crazy. Honestly, dude. So yeah, you can fuck off, Marjorie. Have fun sitting on no committees by yourself. And you're the worst, boo. Yeah. <laughs> Pablo, you want to talk about this one or toxic moment of the week? No, Chris, you should do this because then I'll do the last one. Oh, okay. Okay. I would love to take the floor on this because I'm very <laughs> upset. I knew how bad this was. I knew what I was getting myself into, but this documentary, I have to say, was so well done and just really laid everything out. Like, if you didn't know what was going on, now you do if you watch this. Um, Talk about Britney Spears, like, by the way. Said, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Framing topic, Britney Spears premiered last Framing week. Britney yeah. Spears, which we we mentioned last week, and we finally watched it. Um, very upsetting, very sad. It's just like the, it's so fucked up. Like the whole situation is just awful. The way that the media treated her, the way the paparazzi and just society in general, like it's just horrifying. Dude, no, yeah, I agree. Was... I thought, especially for like, it's really a complicated story, and you have to. <laughs> be paying attention to all of it. So for, I think right. the way they laid it out in 75 minutes, it just from the beginning of her life to where she is now, and even just the mm-hmm. title, it, it really shows this picture that was painted of her and the cultural climate at the time and how it was like acceptable for her to be treated this way. And even just her, she was just acting out when a woman acts out, like she's deemed crazy. I don't know. It, it was I thought it was really yeah. well done. It was really like they provided sources, you know, court documents, this, that, and the other. And I definitely felt so bad for her by the end of it. Yeah. I kind of had this like come to Jesus moment watching it. When you think about Britney Spears, 
her like discography discography of songs she has a lot of songs that allude to being trapped or being torn apart by the media and i mean you know i think as a fan you just get into it because it's Britney Spears and you don't even care what you're singing about, right. but it's a cool song and you can dance to it. Um, but when you really think about it, like, I think there, there's like a message in there, you know, if a, if a, if a, if a artist is continually writing music about a certain topic or theme, it's probably because they're going through that topic or theme, you know? Her music definitely has a theme of like, she has a song called Overprotected or just um, Peace media of me. scrutiny. Yeah. Even My prerogative. Self-referencing or it's almost like telling the future. It's very life imitates art. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to Britney a Spears, part, dude. A part that I thought was incredibly interesting that they pointed out because obviously this whole thing has come to a head with her father being in charge of her conservatorship and that whole issue. And I thought that it was very interesting that they pointed out early on in the documentary from the point that she was a young child and she got her record deal going into like auditions when her and her mom moved to New York and they were going through all of this. His main concern the entire time was money. He was concerned with how they were going to pay for it. And then once things took off, his main priority was always what, how much money she was going to be making. And I just think that part is like crucial in how it all comes now with the, the situation of her, her money and the estate and all of that and her company. And now it's all in the hands of her father. Especially, yeah, because there was, I remember there was that woman, I think she worked at the record label from 97 to 2004, which is like, you know, Britney Prime. And she said he was never around. And like the one of the few times she saw him, she said something about like, my daughter's going to buy me a boat or something. Yeah. (laughs) And I think honestly, this documentary, they really could have gone harder into Jamie Spears, which I think shows just how almost i don't know if unbiased is the right word for it but they i think they really just tried to stick to facts and like try to be fair but yeah he's definitely is an asshole yeah well did you see her boyfriend like tmz caught him and well yeah like so much has come out yeah he like he said he was a dick yeah he was like jamie's a total dick like he has no respect for our relationship and he even he like he posted on instagram about it too and he was like like i said Jamie's a dick, like he's controlling. He said something like that. Yeah. Her current her current boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, ever since this has come out, they've just been like way more vocal. And it's almost like satisfying to see because in the documentary they kind of talk about some of the fans, like because it it could it's very like conspiracy theory, you know. We don't want to be like the people bum rushing the Capitol. But to see, like, court documents where Brittany is, like, affirming that she's afraid of her father and she welcomes the informed support of her fans and even her boyfriend saying stuff about it now, it's like, okay, like, she wants this. She welcomes this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Last thing that I want to touch on, um, her ex-assistant, who we talked about, Felicia, who was featured in the documentary, Mm -hmm. I did, like, at the end when she said she has faith that one day Brittany will tell her story and she will, you know, let it all out. And I'm just holding out for that day because we want to hear from Brittany. And we love you, Brittany. We love you, Brittany. And honestly, like, this has been all over my social media, like, never before. So I think it really has opened up the conversation to, like, a whole new audience. Same, same. People are waking up. They're waking up. All right. So our last and final topic, the toxic historical moment of the week. Ugh, just so much history on this podcast. I know. Um, you're welcome. You're welcome, fans. Educating the children. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, so in we talked about the Super Bowl, but honestly, it was Janet Jackson Appreciation Day. Um, mm-hmm. So our toxic historical moment was when disgraced Me Tour and former head of CBS, Les Moonves, Blacklisted Janet Jackson, essentially putting her career to a halt, all because she accidentally, 
or not accidentally showed her <laughs> boob on national television. And this story's really interesting to me just because we always, like, after that happened, everyone kind of knew because she was off the radio. She went under the radar. She wasn't on MTV. But then in 2018, when Les Moonves got canceled because he's, like, a sexual harasser, there's, like, countless claims against him. He got removed from CBS. There were articles that came out that, basically confirmed that Jackson became a years-long fixation for Moonves, reportedly obsessed with ruining her career. He allegedly banned her from presenting at the Grammys and discouraged CBS affiliates from promoting her new album in any manner, all because she wasn't apologetic enough, which I think is so interesting because <laughs> like, it's like she wanted her to beg for forgiveness or something like that. And even though just- Wait, is it, is it a man or a woman? Uh, it's a man. Oh, okay. His name's Leslie, but it's a man. No, yeah, you said she. I was like, oh, shit, this is woman-on-woman hatred. No, no, just like uh, Janet wouldn't, had to beg for forgiveness. Oh, I see, I see, I see. No, I think the craziest part for me about that whole entire story, and obviously I was, like, really young when, when it happened, I remember as a little kid when I saw it, because everyone was watching the Super Bowl, you know, and I was a little kid watching the Super Bowl with my family, it happened. I mean, maybe I just didn't give a fuck, but I don't remember ever seeing a, a tit. Like, I, I just remember seeing... I, I definitely saw her exposed breast, but she had, like, like something on it, right? You weren't seeing, like, full nipple. You were just seeing... She had an interesting, like, breast, like, plate piercing. It was like a sun. Yeah, that would... I yeah. think that would be celebrated today. Like, I don't know. The whole thing what? is so messy because same, I, re- I remember watching it, but like it happened and then it wasn't like an issue until like after yeah. and everyone was pointing out that like her tit was out and it's like, what? Like well, it, the it's, thing all, was, it's so like foggy. It was on the screen for I think like literally half a second, but it was all over the news after that. So it was like, it was almost like it was more publicized after the fact than like anyone ever saw in their like 2004 grainy ass TV. Even if you look at like the footage now, like you can't even see what the fuck is going on because like, no, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) There's so much happening. It happens for literally a millisecond and people freak the fuck out about it. And I always, you know, the racial scholar in me, the critical theorist in me, wonders if there would have been the same amount of backlash for a white performer that there was for Janet Jackson. Cause she was fucking canceled. And I didn't really realize yeah. that until I grew up. I was because I mean, I was never like a big fan of Janet Jackson. I mean, my mom grew up listening to her. I obviously knew who she was, but she was never like, you know, a big deal for me. She's one so of the I didn't really recognize of all time though. Yeah, I did, but I, but I didn't recognize her cancellation. I guess I just remember like that's how I, yeah. that's that's how my history of Janet Jackson starts. Is like oh that's a that's the woman who apparently showed her boob on TV that one time. But I can only imagine for like all of her fans prior to that, like what a shitty thing to experience. You know, like just seeing someone you love, yeah. artist you love, get totally excluded from pop music, media in general. Well, and it's interesting, too, just because Justin Timberlake, if anything, his career, like, flourished after this. Mm -hmm. Whereas she was made to feel like she bared all the burden, even though he was technically the one. It was like a stunt. He was supposed to, like, reveal red lace or whatever. But he was the one who did it. And she was supposed to... It's so funny, too, that, like, she was supposed to, like, cry and apologize or act like she was supposed to, like, be so ashamed of her body and sexuality mm-hmm. or something like that. And it just goes to show, like, if this can happen to one of the most famous, successful people, like, out there in public of all time, like, imagine what happens when just a regular girl at work does something that's deemed, I don't know, like, out of line or whatever. There's such, like, a rigid framework to follow as a woman, especially back then. Well, and I see it, I see it every day, like, uh, as a teacher and dress code is such a thing, but Uh only for 
Yeah. Girls. It's so girls, crazy, dude. Yeah. You know, it's like you have I mean, my school thankfully is pretty progressive and we actually had this whole year where we, you know, rewrote the dress code to be more inclusive. Um, but you see it still, you see it at big public schools, you know, girls are just hyper police when it comes to their bodies. You know, you can't show too much midriff. You can't show too much shoulder. You can't show, you know, just the showing skin in general is just like a, uh, like a talked about thing always with girls. Imagine just like all your skin, like your literal skin always being a subject of conversation. It just, it creeps me out. And, and you're a child. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're underage. It's so weird that like your body's even being paid attention to you in that way, you know? Yeah. But yeah, fuck that dude. You said he, is he like in jail now or what? He's not in jail, but he got fired and he's been hella canceled and, well, justice for Janet. Honestly. Justice for Janet and all those girls who ruined their lives and sexually harassed yeah. them. Well, world, there it was. Episode two, Toxic Masculinity. I know you loved every second of it. Thank you if you listened this far. We appreciate your listenership. Is that a word? Listenership? Um, Do you guys want to shout out your now. socials? Oh, yeah, let's just, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I want, like, followers. I love this. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Okay, my, follow me, Paul Pablocito, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I am, what is, what are my, what are my usernames? I think I'm just Elliot Potteras on everything, E-L-L-I-O-T-P-A-R-R-A-S. Because I'm the only, fun fact, I'm the only Elliot Potteras on the whole, in the whole entire world. In the world? Yeah, dude, I've looked it up. I mean, there could be someone out there that has my name that has no internet footprint, but Mm. they don't matter anyway. Let's be honest. They don't have an internet footprint. Yeah. Yeah. And I can be found on any platform at the T-H-E Chris C-H-R-I-S Allen (laughs) A-L-L-A-N the Chris Allen. Yes. Hell yeah. So thank you for listening to our podcast. Hopefully you'll, listen, you'll continue to listen. We're, we're hoping to put out episodes at least once a week. Um, this is really fun for us. Again, it's our little quarantine project. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to the highly coveted Toxic Toxic Toxic, toxic Masculinity One day we'll get that right. (laughs) I was confused by a beat. Bye. (laughs)